I have the privilege this morning of introducing um, Peter Sung. Peter is a very familiar face here. Uh, he serves as the conference coach and director of church planting for the Pacific Northwest Conference. Um, Peter comes to us with 26 years of experience in church planting and church revitalization, uh, both for our denomination and our local conference, as well as pastoral ministry. Um, he holds a doctorate in psychology and organizational psychology, and uh, he has walked alongside many pastors, including myself, in coaching and equipping them uh, for the season of ministry that they're in. Uh, Peter lives right here in Seattle um, with his beloved Susie. They have four daughters, Emmeline, Madeline, Sophia, and Amelia, and their dog, Hobbs. Yeah? Can't forget the pup. Um, you uh, also ordained in the Evangelical Covenant Church. So would you welcome Peter Sung with us this morning? Good morning. Um, as Mark shared, uh, my name is Peter, and I'm really glad to be with you all. Um, Austin uh, reached out to me a little bit ago and asked me to participate in this sermon series that you all are in. I think it's affectionately named after the show This Is Us. I did watch like an episode and a half of that, and I didn't feel comfortable crying that much, so I stopped watching it. Realized they knew the formula and how to execute it really well. And it was the same every week. It wasn't like they had a different spin on it. It's the same formula. Uh, but we're not talking about the show today. We're talking about the church. Uh, this is us. And uh, Austin asked me to share about how this church can participate in the whole mission. I think in some ways churches get relegated uh, to the margins. And we've become less and less relevant. We become more and more insular. And we sort of do our own thing. It becomes more of a club than a mission. And so I think this is you all's desire uh, to expand your wings and learn how to fly. Maybe again, maybe a little higher. Um, I'm not sure exactly. Uh, but um, I'm really glad to participate in the series. Before I get into it, I want to introduce my family one more time. Uh, that's uh, me over there, obviously. And then next to me is our 12-year-old, Amelia. And she is going to be in the seventh grade. And we, we are totally ruining her. We are spoiling her rotten. I don't remember the last time I've, I've, I said no to her. And I don't care. That's how that goes. Uh, next to her is our eldest, Emmeline. She's 19. And she's at the University of Washington. And she applied to the design school, which has a 5% acceptance rate. And she did not get accepted. But she's on the wait list. She's number one on the wait list, folks. We just need one person to have something happen to them. And then my daughter will be in. And then next to her is Sophia, who is who has just got her learner's permit. So pray for the whole family. It's really scary to have your kids drive. If you've done this, you know this. Um, and it's the third time, but it's a lot less scary. Next to her is Madeline. She's also in the Running Star program that uh, Emmeline did. And so she is going to be a senior, but she's been at Bellevue College. And uh, we're excited for her as she sort of is really becoming a woman. And next to her is my wife, Susie. She took a couple of kids and their friends to um, Deception Pass the last couple of days. She's a school teacher. She teaches near here at Cherry Crest Elementary. By the way, Susie and I are celebrating 25 years of marriage this August. Glad for that. And um, 
It was not easy getting here. We've had a couple explosions, as you know, if you've been married for a while. But those explosions give us gives us uh, uh, opportunity to renegotiate our terms of engagement and allows us to um, get to uh, better places. So thankful for the rocky road that leads to these places. Okay. Today I want to talk to you about this topic, uh, this title, um, by a sermon by the title of El Roy. Anybody know what El Roy means? Louder? The God who sees me. El means God, Roy, to see me. That's the way that word is parsed. The God who sees me. Now this is really an important name of God. This is kind of how it works in the scriptures and in human history is God is pure light is what the scriptures tell us. And because God is pure light, if any one of us encountered all at once the fullness of God, we would all burn up and die. That's the idea. No one can see God and live, Scripture tells us. Have you ever had a moment when somebody you love, a friend, a spouse, or somebody you work with, a relative maybe, confronted you about some fault of yours? Has that ever happened? And you began to see how you'd been a jerk or how you missed it. You didn't see it. You didn't get it. And you felt awful. You felt guilty. You felt bad. You felt humiliated. You felt humbled. Ever experienced that? I have many times, far too many times. And each time, it wreaks havoc on me. I stay up thinking about it. I I stay up trying to... You know, was I like that for how long? And who had, who else did I hurt? And, you know, you sort of go down the list and go through your whole life with that one lens and you realize you're not that great. And it's devastating. It breaks your heart. It's disappointing, right? Now, that's just one person confronting you about one thing. Imagine total exposure, pure light, shedding light, on the whole of who you are, all that you are. Surely you can't survive that. And so theologians recognize that God, when He wanted to reveal Himself for the first time to human beings, He did it progressively. They call this progressive revelation. Just a little peek at God. Just a little bit at a time. And so... Throughout the course of human history, we see God showing himself to human beings. And El Roy, it turns out, is the very first significant revelation of God to human beings. We know this because El Roy is the very first name ever given to God by people. You know, we've named God many times. El Shaddai, right? We have Jehovah Jireh. We have God our healer. God our provider. We have all these names for God, but the very first name is El Roy. This is significant because this is the very first thing that God wanted human beings to know about who He is. This name is the foundation of our relationship to God. 
This is what's called primal, the first. This is God's primal name. This is God's primal self-revelation. El Roy, the God who sees us. This is uh, an important truth that scripture got to first. But today I want to show you how uh, many, many, many years later, science caught up and uh, we now have a word for this kind of seeing, this kind of Elroy activity. And this activity, we today, psychologists call this attunement. Attunement is defined as tracking with the inner subjective reality of the other. God knows our name. God sees us. God sees what's going on. God knows every thought we have before we are even aware enough of them to have them articulated and formed on our tongues. God sees everything about us. God is attuned to us. God is El Roy. We're going to learn today that the reason El Roy is the first name and the most important primal foundational name is that even developmentally speaking, the fact that our caregivers, primary caregivers, when we're first born into this world, the most important mechanism that these caregivers engage in is attuning. Caregivers tracking with our inner subjective reality is the most important thing. We're going to see that today. We're going to see not only that seeing is believing, but really, especially when it comes to ministry, seeing is everything. Okay? Let's read the passage together. Uh, follow along with me as I read from Genesis 16. Next slide. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, he hasn't been named to Abraham yet, so it's Sarai because it's not Sarah yet. Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarah said. So, so after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai took Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she answered. And then jumping to verse 13, she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. And here it is. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one 
who sees me. The word of the Lord. The story of Hagar is the story of God seeing the invisible, the nobody. You realize in her context, in her time, Hagar didn't have any rights. She wasn't even considered a human being. She was considered property, and anything can happen to her. And if something were to befall her, she is just at everyone's mercy. She has no power. She has no recourse. She truly is an invisible person. Nobody saw her as a person. And it is this person, isn't that cool? It's this person that God chooses to first reveal himself in a significant way that causes a human being to name him. He didn't choose Abram. He was quite visible. He didn't choose Sarah, Sarai. She was, you know, less than Abram, but she was still visible. But God chose a slave person. God chose a woman. God chose somebody who was abused. Somebody who was so abused that they had run away from safety into the wilderness. You know, in modern day value systems, this would be considered abusive and it would even be considered rape. And the situation was so bad that she runs away into the wilderness to commit, in effect, a double suicide. She's a nobody. She's got nothing. And in this predicament, God finds her. God sees her. He says, I know who you are. I know your name. I see everything about your story. I understand your plight. Hagar, Hagar, Hagar. And she is so profoundly touched and moved and I would submit to you healed by this experience that she actually gives God a name. El Roy, the God who sees me. Yahweh, the God of the universe, the true and living God, the one and only, reveals himself to human beings. And the very first thing God wanted us to know is that he sees us, that he is El Roy. And everything else is built on this. God sees you. God sees you. God sees you. God tracks with your inner subjective reality. He understands. He gets it. I want to explain this to you from a scientific standpoint a little bit. Uh, One of my favorite things to do as, uh, I'm not really sure what I am, but like a Christian, I guess, is I love looking at multiple disciplines and seeing the confirmed truth that goes across multiple disciplines. And so I see something theologically, and then I see something uh, in physics, and then I see the same thing confirmed in psychology, and I see the same thing in sociology. And when multiple disciplines confirm the same principle, that's called consilience. And so I love seeking consilience on theology. And this is one of those 
things. There's something that I study called attachment theory. Anybody know what attachment theory is? A couple of you. Attachment theory uh, is something like this. The nature of your relationship with your early caregivers creates within you, inside of you, an internal working model of how the rest of the world works. So if you had a good caregiver that was, you know, uh, attuned to you is uh, what we learned. Attunement is the main mechanism. Then you have what's called a secure attachment style. That's about 50% of the U.S. population. And then the other half is comprised of three kinds of insecure attachment styles. That's anxious, uh, avoidant, anxious, ambivalent, and disorganized. Those are the other three kinds of styles. And all of that determines uh, how we relate to the rest of the world. It happens very early on. And scientists have been trying to figure out why does the relationship you have with your primary caregiver matter so much? What actually is happening? Why does that internal working model form inside of us? And Dan Siegel, who's a really renowned child psychologist and California researcher, what he discovered is that the mechanism that caregivers have to engage in in order to create within children a secure attachment style is something that Dan Siegel calls attunement. He discovered that if a primary caregiver will attune to the child consistently and regularly, then the child has their thoughts and feelings organized. And when thoughts and feelings are organized, it creates in them a sense of meaning and it gives them resilience. Now, this is all probably TMI for most of us. So let me jump to a couple of examples that illustrates what I'm talking about. A couple of experiments. Anybody heard of the famous experiment called the still face experiment? Yeah, right? We got a couple of you. The still face experiment, you can Google this on YouTube, uh, takes place in kind of like a doctor's, like, uh, like a pediatrician's office, it looks like. And there's a mom and her beloved baby. And they're... Uh, the mom is holding the child and is leaning over the baby and is engaged, is making eye contact and responding and playing and soothing and just loving on this child, practicing what Dan Siegel calls attunement, tracking with the inner subjective reality of this child. And the baby's very happy, smiling, making noises, moving, moving uh, his or her arms and legs. And then, as part of the experiment the mom suddenly puts on a blank face, refuses to engage the child, becomes like a statue. And then you see the child get confused, and then it runs through all of its tricks, making noises, grabbing the mom, moving around. It starts whimpering, and then it starts crying, it starts screaming, and then soon enough it becomes extremely distraught. The mother's right there but it's not attuned, the mother is not attuned to the child. And the child gets distraught. And she holds her still face. And the child cannot console itself. It's lost all composure. 
And then as part of the experiment, the mother snaps back alive, like in Frozen, like she got unfrozen, right? And then begins to engage the child and begins to tune in, attune with the child again. And the child immediately becomes soothed and is able to uh, regulate itself and get happy again. There's another experiment very similar to it. There's a mom and a baby, and the mom is doing the exact same thing, tuning into the child, playing with the child, engaging, making eye contact. But this time, the mother's face, as she is engaging the child, is recorded. Right? And then the mother leaves the room, and then the baby gets distraught and starts crying, loses composure. And then they play back the video of the mother who was just interacting with the child. And then immediately the child is soothed and gets happy again. But then as the baby's watching this video, begins to realize that the mom is mom, but it's just like missing a beat. You know, you know like Anna's video that we watched? Like she wasn't here in the room interacting with us, right? And she said, let's read this together. But we probably felt like, well, you read it already some time ago, and we're just reading it. We're not reading it with you. We're reading it with each other, but not with you. Anybody think this? Anybody get complicated like that? I had that experience. It was like, why should I read it? Why should I vocalize my reading? Because she's not here. I don't get credit for this. And that's what the baby does. The baby gets distraught because the mom is out of sync and gets even more distraught than when the mom had just left the room. Because it was off. Something was wrong. It was not attuned to the child. Isn't this amazing? That the attunement of the primary caregiver in our life is primal. It is the single most foundational thing that any mom or dad or caregiver can do, developmentally speaking. And then we have God, who wanted to reveal himself to human beings, and the very first thing that God wanted to do was to reveal himself as the God who sees, as El Roy. Just the way your mom or your dad or your caregiver was the one who saw you. Here we have God saying, I am the first one who saw all who need to be seen. I see you. I am tracking with your inner subjective reality. We have lots of examples of this. I'm going to just list them out. John Godman, the famous relationship marriage expert over at the University of Washington, he said the most important thing you can do in marriage is to respond to bids for connection, that is to see each other. Daniel Goleman, one of the key leaders of our in our leadership world, uh, who has been pushing, advocating for something he calls emotional intelligence, he says emotional intelligence, tracking with others in the room, is the single most intelligence you can practice and it underlies all other intelligences. Brene Brown, of recent fame, TED Talk and books, she says that empathy or vulnerability, which is seeing and being seen, is the single most important thing that we can do. Or socially speaking, what about Black Lives Matter? No matter what your opinion is, 
your perspective on Black Lives Matter, I can tell you this, Black Lives Matter, at the center of it, is a group of people saying, why don't you see us? Please see us. What about social media, Facebook, TikTok, Snapchat, Instagram? All of that is people thirsty, too thirsty sometimes, to be seen. Please see me. Please tell me I matter. Please tell me I exist. Please tell me I'm legitimate. Please tell me I'm valid. Please tell me I'm something, that I'm not nothing. This unbearable lightness of being, I can't take it anymore. I'm telling you, the force driving all of the economies of this world when you understand the very foundation of it, the center of it, do you know what it is? It's attunement. It's every single human being saying, please see me. I have not interviewed Putin, obviously. Does not need to be said. But I guarantee it, at the center of that man's heart is a desire to be seen. I have not interviewed any politician, but I tell you, every politician at the center of what drives them is a desire to be seen. But not only politicians. Every human being, every child, every man, every woman, every gay person, every heterosexual person, every single human being you can think of at the center of what they need is a desire to be seen. A need to be seen. It turns out it's all about attunement and God starts with it. And so the answer, if you go to the next slide, uh, go, yeah. Always start with attunement. Because this is the first job of the church. If you are going to do ministry, the whole mission... If you're gonna reach anyone, if anybody, if anybody's gonna believe that you care, you have to first see them. Start with attunement. Do you see the people? Don't start with programs. Don't start with place. But start with people. And with the practice of seeing people. I've been doing research on the future of the church. And culturally, we're shifting away from programs and place. That's why so many seats are empty. To people and practice. The practice of attunement. You can't just reach them. You're going to have to get down and dirty and engage in hand-to-hand combat with people. You're going to have to get in front of people, open your eyes, get close, Remember, Jesus didn't shun the lepers and stay away. He got close to the leper. That's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to get close. Remember the rich young ruler? It says, it says of him, of Jesus, Jesus looked at him and loved him. He walked away, but Jesus saw him. You can't be a church, an institution, an organization, a building. You're going to have to be human beings seeing other human beings if you are going to do the ministry of God. God is first and foremost El Roy. And this church, if you're going to engage in the whole mission, 
First and foremost, you have to see. Do you see the people? Are you tracking with their inner subjective reality? I don't know if this is true for you. It's certainly true for me. Maybe it's more so because I grew up Presbyterian. But often, often, I start with rules. I start with morality. I start with behavior modification. Rather than with attunement. Instead of seeing the person, I see the rule that they're violating first. I remember, I mean, this. I'm so over this. But, you know, years ago, when I'm talking with people and they would say a cuss word. Like, I couldn't see them anymore. All I saw was, there's somebody who curses. That was it. That's what I saw. And there was a wall. There was a filter that went up. I remember also when I was in high school, maybe college, it was abortion. Abortion was the big issue. If there was anybody, anybody, who voted for a Democrat who was okay with uh, being pro-choice. A wall went up. It was such an essential thing. And all I saw was their opinion on that matter. I stopped seeing the person. And I could make all of us uncomfortable and list all the different things that are happening in our culture that causes us to stop seeing people. Do you see the human being behind the vote behind the position, behind the opinion, behind the stance, behind whatever we think is more human than the person, actual human, behind that position. That's our job, if you're going to do ministry, to get beyond that. When Abraham, when Sarah, when they looked at Hagar, they didn't see a person. What did Sarah say? Go sleep with this property thing that I have. She's just an extension of me. And so if she bears you a son, it'll be my son. And then she got really jealous and said, Abraham, it's your fault. Abraham said, do do with her whatever the heck you want. Because he didn't see Hagar. And then Sarah started beating her. That's the Hebrew word, beating, abusing. Not seeing a person, but an object. They didn't see Hagar, the human. And isn't that amazing that the Lord of the universe, who should show favoritism towards Abram and Sarah, actually saw Hagar? It's, it's, it's an incredible thing. And how shall Pine Lake imitate that level of seeing? When everybody else sees something wrong, something gross, something unacceptable, something worthy of abandonment, you run towards it. Otherwise, you're not doing the ministry of God. You're just doing a human thing. You're not doing a divine thing at all. Next slide. Be mindful of... Now, this is the tricky thing. A couple of tricky things and then I'll close. God met Hagar when she was in a place of great need. She wasn't doing so well. And here's the thing about people who are not doing well. They're annoying. They're not at their best. Have you ever actually related to somebody who is desperate? Like, they're pathetic. 
Do you realize that? When somebody's so desperate that they have to swallow all of their dignity to call you to ask for help, to leverage the relationship, to ask for help, do you know how pathetic and off-putting that is? Do you know how self-protective human nature gets when somebody actually needs help? That's why we need advocates. We need somebody else who doesn't have the need to advocate for the person who actually has the need because the person in need is really unpalatable. I had a person at the airport ask me for money to take a bus. Now, I probably got scammed. He's probably done that a dozen times that day. I don't know. I'm a New Yorker, so everybody's a scammer. But this guy, his story is so pathetic. Honestly, I just wanted to kick him to the curb even further. That's my human nature. I just My defenses come up because I don't want to be taken. I don't want to be manipulated. Right? And it just feels like a black hole I'd be giving to. But that's the thing. How we treat people when they're actually in a place of need, when they're in a place of pain, that's what matters. When times are good, everybody's lovely. Everybody's likable. Everybody's charming. When times are good, I'm best friends with everybody. Catch me when I'm in a good mood. My belly's full. I got a drink in my hand. I'm surrounded by my friends. I'm the best. But when I'm needy, when I'm hurting, when I'm inconsistent, when I've done it again, when I'm in trouble, that's the moment when the church has to rise up and say, I see you. How people behave when they are in need is not attractive, but it's repulsive. But how the church responds to these very people is the true definition of church. What good is it, Jesus said, if you love your enemy? You know, I mean, uh, if you if you love those who who repay you when you give to them, who cares? Right. Next slide. And this is our last point as we close. Do not be. Do not be. And the word is afraid to see. I don't know if this is just me or if this is me, uh, all of us, but I used to think that accepting someone was agreeing with that someone. I used to think that if I embraced somebody, I was condoning everything. So it felt tricky. The scripture says, scriptures say, boldly enter God's throne of grace. There you will find grace and mercy to help you in time of trouble. What that means is that God accepts us first so that he can help us. Psychologically, I can tell you, unless you accept people, they will never show their true self. They will never show you their cards. You will never see their true colors. Acceptance is always first. But the thing that we feel is fear. We are afraid of accepting people. We are afraid of seeing people because we fear that if we see them, if we attune with them, then we are agreeing with them. We are enabling their bad behavior or their, their lifestyle or whatever it is. 
And I want to tell you that there is no dichotomy between accepting and loving somebody who is in trouble, who is in need, who is in pain, and loving God. It's one and the same. In fact, Jesus says, the whole law, everything you think is sacred and a way to worship and love God is wrapped up in loving your neighbor. Loving God is fulfilled when you love your neighbor. Nothing else exists. Everything else is to supplement this. And he gave lots of verses to talk about this. Remember when he said the Sabbath was made for man? That if you see an animal or a child in the ditch on the Sabbath, will you not save their life? Because the Sabbath exists for man. All of the laws exist for man. All of the rules and regulations that you think God wants us to obey, all of that exists so that we can attune with people, so that we can accept people just as they are, And as we do that, we connect with them, we earn their trust, we walk with them without an agenda, and then we see what God does in the context of that acceptance. Matthew 22, 37 to 40, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, and that means second is Equally great, equally first. He's equating the two commandments. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Do not be afraid to love. Do not be afraid to help. Do not be afraid to attune. Will you bow your heads with me? God, if uh, we are Christians here in this room... Uh, it is because at some point in our life, we felt seen by you. We heard you call us by name. We heard you whisper to us that you know us, that you see us all the way to the bottom, and you accept us just as we are. And it is this seeing, this acceptance, that caused us to say yes to you. And so, God, I pray for Pine Lake collectively and individually as a church, as the church of God, as ministers of this very gospel of acceptance and attunement. May they courageously, without fear, without getting tripped up, learn how to get near to people, and see people, and may all the ministries that they do, all the mission that they engage in, all their practice of being a Christian church, may it start with attunement. May it start with their own experience of you as the El Roy. Empower them to do this. Give them the courage to do this. And may they bear fruit as they do this. I pray for them in Jesus' name. Amen.